Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to the latest edition of the Real Sports Talk by the Australia Podcast. It is May 1st, 2023. Hope you all had a good weekend. Yes, it was a rain out, so might have been one of those day, one of those weekends stay indoors. Uh, but hope you all had good spirits and you know good things all around still uh, throughout your days and the time that you got to chill and relax. Um, so, quite a bit of things to get into. It was an interesting, busy weekend, obviously, in NBA, NFL, obviously, the draft, um, you know, obviously, Major League Baseball, hockey playoffs, and then some. So, a whole lot of things going on, a lot of things to look forward to. And we are officially in the month of May, um, which, you know, obviously, we're getting towards the really good part of, you know, the NFL season, off season, where you know the schedule release will be taking place most likely, right, within the next week or so. Um, I got the NBA playoffs heating up with Eastern Conference semifinal matchups already underway, and a few that are going to start very soon, especially I think one tonight. Um, so you know, a lot to be excited about um, in terms of viewership and. Uh, overall stories that are coming out. So, let me get this episode started by talking about the NFL draft. I kind of want to recap what we saw transpire in the NFL draft, and then I may transition to talking about the NBA a little bit, what we've seen transpire so far, what to expect going forward. Uh, Some of these top matches we're going to be seeing take place, are already taking place. Um, you know, in the playoffs. So, the NFL draft uh, obviously concluded um, this past weekend with obviously all the picks being made, and this was a pretty uh, busy draft uh, in terms of activity because there were, I think, I think there were forty-three trades um, in the NFL draft. Maybe around that number or a little bit over. Uh, obviously, you saw a lot of teams um, kind of move up the draft board, you know, down the draft board in the later stages of the draft, right? And then you saw, um, you know, first round, a couple of things, you know, so, so, some movements there as well. Um, so there were a lot of teams that uh, made some draft moves, you know, to come up certain spots in the second round, third round. And then, obviously, you know, teams like Houston and um, who's the other team? Houston and Arizona Cardinals kind of moving down, moving up. Uh, so there was a lot to be uh, intrigued by, uh, you know, if you were kind of watching the draft. There's a lot of players, obviously, uh, getting drafted. Some, obviously, slided a little bit more than they anticipated and that kind of happens in the draft every year where some prospects really uh, do slide due to other reasons and Will Levis actually quarterback out of Kentucky was one of those players that this slide into the second round which was um, surprising to see Uh, but he ended up getting drafted early in the second round so there's that so I'm going to go through um some of the picks that I did like in this first round of the NFL draft and some picks that I'm not so high on or keen on. 
Um, and then I'll get into the teams that I think uh, had a successful draft and some teams that I think that had a subpar or, you know, low draft. Now, there's obviously a lot of teams that had decent drafts, mix of both, you know, good and bad. I'm just going to give you my five that I felt like were uh, really good to some degree and some that were just kind of so-so and not that great. And then we'll go from there. So... Look at the first round of the NFL draft. Obviously, we knew that the quarterbacks would go pretty early, uh, which we saw Young and Stroud go one and two, which was very, which was expected pretty much, right? From um, you know, two franchises that obviously were looking for a quarterback and will be playing the same division. So that conversation of who, sh- who should have gone number one overall, will that will that will debate on the AFC South uh, for years to come? And you know, they join obviously. Lawrence in that division as well as you know Tannehill, Levis, like all the top quarterbacks, pretty much ended up in the same um, same division, right? Same conference, the AFC South, right? If you look at it, Stroud and Levis and Richardson and uh, Young, and well, actually, let me not say that Young actually is in the AFC South. So let me make that correction, but. At least two of the three quarterbacks, you could say, ended up in the same division. So, there's that. Um, so, that was interesting to see. But, uh, yeah, some of the picks that I liked in the first round. Um, let me go with uh, the Houston Texans at number three. I mean, the Texans obviously drafted C.J. Shaw, the number two overall pick. Um, you know, and then they, you know, they, they traded down after... You know, making a selection, they traded back up. Um, you know, Texas had you know a couple of first-round picks in the you know in this draft, and the way that Texas maneuvered certain things this around, where Will Anderson, I think, was a great pick at number three for the Houston Texans. Uh, Will Anderson was one of the highly touted defensive players this year from Alabama. Um, you know, great playmaker, someone who really stood out for Alabama the last few seasons. And for him to be drafted, you know, right after T.D. Stroud, I think that was a pretty solid move by the Houston Texans. They obviously, this is all D'Amico Ryans, right? D'Amico Ryans obviously is taking over the, that team with a you know, six-year deal. Obviously, the Houston Texans need a defensive piece that can, they can you know, build around. They had that in J.J. Watt, you know, a number of years ago, the first overall pick. So they get Anderson and Stroud. Right, two, three, respectively. But I think Anderson was a great pick for Houston. They definitely needed to address that defensive line uh, and that pass rush a little bit inside because it was one of their weaknesses last year. So I think Anderson was a solid pick at number three for the Houston Texans. Another pick that I really like from in the first round: the Cardinals drafting Paris Johnson. Uh, you know, defensive tackle from Ohio State. It's pretty obvious that the Cardinals have struggled in the last few years in terms of pass protection, giving up the most sacks. Um, and that some of the offensive line play has led to Kyler Murray being hurt and on and off and injured. And so I think that this was a solid move for the Cardinals and their new GM. Obviously, you want to be able to trade back, acquire some capital, and just the offensive line. But you've got to build a strong offensive line for Kyler Murray's, you know, Tyrus Johnson was one of the highly talented 
offensive lineman in this draft and him being drafted was, was a solid move for the Cardinals in terms of what they're trying to do with Jonathan Gannon kind of rebuild this team people that they need guys who can be you know great in the running game in the pass protection game and I think that you know he fits the bill for the another pick that I really like um, it's the Seattle Seahawks are drafting uh, Jackson Smith uh, if I'm getting that name correctly at number 20 overall, uh, solid wide receiver move from the Seattle Seahawks in terms of just being able to get a player that um, definitely excels in speed and space. And you, know, you add him to a wide receiving core of Lockett and Metcalf. I mean, you give you know, Geno Smith another weapon down the field, which is solid. Uh, he's a really good route runner as well. I think Seattle getting him at the value they got him at that, at that you know, at that you know, spot was pretty good because you know, he's someone who can definitely be a day one starter for them. Just slide to that third, third, you know, wide receiving role, possibly fourth, um, and definitely help open up the TLC up the offense versus like having more deep play action, deep threat passes. I like the Baltimore Ravens pick at uh, number 22, drafting Zay Flowers, Lamar Jackson. Um, Finally, and came to a deal with the Ravens, giving him one of the highest contracts in the NFL. Um, they obviously went out and got Odell Beckham, right? And they've drafted, and they have Devin Duvernay from last year, and Rashad Bateman being there. And now they had Zay Flowers, who was also highly touted as one of the best wide receivers in this, year, this year's draft. Someone who has a size and speed to go get it overall. And the Ravens are obviously committing. The, two wide receiving help around Lamar Jackson and I think this is a good move for that because you, know, you need weapons you need a passing offense that will be looking a lot more different than it looked in the past few years you know you have a new offensive coordinator and Todd Monken who came up from Tampa Bay someone who's worked with you know Mike Evans um, you know and Chris Godwin uh, and a few others and so now you get Zay Flowers in there to compliment Rashad Bateman and Mark Andrews. Uh, the Raiders offense is going to look a whole lot different coming up with the NFL season. And Lamar Jackson obviously is going to be someone who's going to have to really prove it and do his best uh, to make the use of the talent he has around him. But he's got, you know, a wide receiver that can go get it and uh, can get down the field. And is strong and physical after the catch. And... Another pick that I like um, was the Minnesota Vikings picking up um, Jordan uh, Jordan Addison. I think that was a good move um, for the Minnesota Vikings because they obviously wanted to address, you know, having a, another wide receiver alongside um, Justin Jefferson. You know, they, they could have went defense possibly, um, but Addison is someone who. You know, it's a nice route runner. Got a lot of tools and success. Obviously, Caleb Williams at University of USC. Um, so I think Addison fits in well with you know, Cousins. Obviously, he'll get a lot of targets thrown his way. I think he'll fit right well in his offense. Um, with what Kevin McConnell kind of likes to do with wide receiver. I think he'll fit really, really well with Osborne um, and Justin Jefferson because it was clear that you know, and then playoff loss that, you know, without Jefferson, you know, Jefferson being locked in and not having the biggest game to need, 
other players to step up and then somebody who can be a day one starter who can really learn and, and, and get more polished you know when it comes to, when it comes to it um, I think he'll be able to really do, do a good job of being able to make a difference day one potentially so as for the uh, some of the picks that they're not like in this year's first round of the draft um the Seahawks drafting a cornerback at number five, and I think Emmanuel Witherspoon, if I'm getting that name correctly, kind of a reach, I feel like, for Seattle to draft someone at number five. Uh, I mean, obviously, Seattle is trying to address that defense, make it more fortified, which you, from that standpoint, you get because they were at you know, the cornerback position. But reaching for a cornerback that he could have had later in the draft, um, you know, I think. You, know, you could have had uh, a cornerback later in the draft. I felt like I think number five is a spot where you don't really, you know, you see cornerbacks get drafted sometimes in the top, you know, ten of the draft, and those draft picks don't always pan out. You know, I mean, going back, I'm trying to think of like any really true cornerback that had a, you know, a first round cornerback that really did well. I mean, there's been a, there's been a few cases where some cornerbacks have done well. Um, but for reaching for a cornerback where you could have had, you know, another offensive lineman, or you could have had, um, you know, a defensive tackle and Jalen Carter, you know, or um, an offensive lineman, or even even just another skilled player, right? Like, you know, you could have taken a wide receiver earlier, a higher this spot maybe. Um, obviously, it's not uncommon. They could. Have, could have done that, um, but I think Seattle just taking a, a cornerback in the top five, someone who obviously played well in Illinois, but didn't really play a whole lot of good action, you know, didn't see a whole lot of good competition, and so I don't know if he's going to be able to be that type of player that is looking up to that number fifth pick in the draft, but I saw the player for their need at cornerback, but I think it was it was a big reach for Seattle to draft a cornerback at number five. Um, the Atlanta Hawks Atlanta Hawks drafting, or Atlanta Hawks, I'm saying, Atlanta Falcons, excuse me. The Atlanta Falcons drafting Bijan Robinson at number eight from Texas. Now, I get that Bijan Robinson was one of the highly touted running backs of this year's draft class. Someone who's explosive, had a lot of production. Um, but a running back going, obviously, in the top ten, it is, you know, kind of interesting and kind of out of a reach, I feel like, because... They could have had that running back later in the draft as well. I felt like Robinson, the running back, obviously we know the stories of the running backs, right? Everyone thinks that you can just kind of draft any running back at, a, you know, they play seven, six, seven, eight years, and kind of, that's kind of it, right? Robinson is a unique talent that, yes, it kind of warranted a first round draft selection, but the Atlanta Falcons could have went with a wide receiver. You know, they could have went with another player on defense, potentially. Um, I get the idea of trying to give, you know, like you want to, you already have some pieces in place with London and Kyle Pitts and a few others. Um, Arthur Smith obviously likes to have a running back that's good. And they want to move from that running back position. I get that. Um, but the Hawks reaching for a Robinson at eight was a surprise, right? Because you feel like, Running backs are important. They do, uh, you know, they're obviously number of carries. And yeah, Saquon, Elliott, a few others have drafted in the first round. And 
some of them obviously panned out really, really well. But there's obviously the injury risk, the durability factor. Um, and so for Robinson, number eight, kind of a high one. Hopefully it pans out for Atlanta, but I think it was a pick that they could have waited to make. Uh, they could have had that player later in the draft as well. Um, we'll see another pick that I did not really like uh, in the first round of this draft was the Packers at number 13, taking a pass rusher and look Ben, that's from Iowa. The Packers obviously got what they wanted, right, in the Aaron Rodgers trade. Um, and they did address wide receiving later in the draft, but to draft a defensive end at number 13, where you could have had a wide receiver, um, you know, with Zay Flowers or Nigva um, or even Addison, um, or even a tight end for, for that matter. That's what I find surprising with Green Bay Packers. I felt like, you know, yes, you have Robert Tunney in there, you know, as your tight end. You have two wide receivers, yes, and, and Watson and Dubs, which you believe in highly, but you're going to need a lot more arsenal if you want to be able to compete. Um, and the Packers are banking on Jordan Love being able to gel with, obviously, Watson and Dubs. Um, but a tight end would have been a great spot here for the for the Packers, you know. There were some couple of top tight ends that, you know, they could have went with. Now, I don't, I think there was one tight end that went later in the draft. Um, but this was a, a, a bit of a reach because uh, Luke Ness is a nice, solid player from Iowa. He played well. He did have some injury concerns. His production was a little bit off at times. Um, probably they had Rashawn Gary. They had a couple of defensive players on the defensive line that were already pretty solid. So this was a kind of a surprise because I think the Packers could have went with a, another wide receiver. You know, they could have added that, that wide receiving room behind Watson um, and, and, and Dubs. You know, and I think that they kind of. Uh, Took a player that may be decent, but I don't like to be able to start right away with the defensive line. Another pick that I didn't like as much uh, was the Lions drafting Jamar Gibbs, running back um, uh, from Alabama. You know, you go ahead and trade away DeAndre Swift um, to the Eagles, right, after you make this selection. Jamar Gibbs is a nice player for Alabama, but he didn't flash. He didn't stand out as much as the other running backs in this draft class did, in my opinion. Um, so maybe the type of running style um, Dan Campbell was looking for somebody maybe more of a someone who can be that that running back with physicality and um, you know with physicality and. Power and Gibbs is a is a nice player. Don't get me wrong, but for the Lions to draft him at number twelve, I mean, this is a spot where they could have had a wide receiver. You know, you do have Mona St. Brown and Jameson Williams, but Jameson Williams obviously coming off, um, he will be suspended for the early part of the season. Now you did address a, a few other you know tight ends needs. Uh, um, later in the draft and a little wide receiver but the, the Lions could have had a much better player I feel like um, at that spot you know, they could have went with someone um, particularly maybe more um, on the 
defensive end, um, which they did, uh, you know, with their second pick in the first round. But it felt like the Lions' defense um, needed some addition, uh, you know, at some spots. And they could have gone, you know, defense, defense particularly. Um, but they decided to go in the direction of that. So, like, I don't know, the Lions could have used it on a wide receiver, I felt like, or... or Maybe a defensive, not defensive player would have been better in that spot. And I'll finally say the Commanders at 16. Uh, they obviously believe in Sam Howell will be their quarterback coming up right for this upcoming season. Um, but if you look at it, drafting a cornerback um, in Emmanuel Forbes, try it's an interesting pick for the Washington Commanders because you feel like they could have went also with trying to address them with the defensive line. They're trying to keep the defensive line together. Right? They have question marks, right? With Young there. Um, with that. So, like, Ron Rivera obviously knows defense, loves defense. Drafting a cornerback is something that he most likely wanted to do. Uh, but, as I mentioned, this wasn't really a, you know, a very strong um, cornerback class. It was decent. It was good enough for players to get selected in the first round. Um, but I do think that you know Washington could have went with a wide receiver or even a tight end for that matter because I don't think they've gotten a whole lot of production from their tight ends uh, either. So I think that would have been a much better spot to go in uh, if I was the Washington Commanders. So the next segment of tradition, talk about the teams that I believe had a uh, Solid draft, and some teams that didn't have much of a draft that I think was that great uh, compared to the others. Hey guys, so I am back, um, picking up where I left off in the last segment, talking more about the NFL draft. Um, so there are some teams, uh, there are a bunch of teams that obviously had. You know, good drafts, middle of the pack, decent, some a little bit rough. Um, I'm going to give you my five teams I think did really well, and my five teams I think that didn't do so well. Uh, but then again, like I said, the teams that I mentioned here are just purely based on what I was able to see at various points in the draft. And so I'm basing it off that. Obviously, no slight against any other there's several teams that probably did really, really well. Like, obviously, the contenders from last year's playoffs. You know, and then teams that were close in the middle of the pack are there as well. Um, so, kind of mix of both. Some teams a little bit under. So, I hope you do you know, like like that uh, little context before I dive into it. So, yeah, look at the draft itself. I mean, you could say that, um, you know, the teams that walked away with you know, their quarterbacks were all winners and had a strong draft. Um, that is definitely true in some aspects. Uh, one of the teams that I think really had a, a really good draft, a solid one, uh, were the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, Pittsburgh Steelers have, you know, transitioned to a new you know, new era, right? With, you know, obviously Kenny Pickett being their starting quarterback, right? Had a up and down rookie year, but showed some really good promise. Um, the Steelers were a competitive team, or for the most part, they were close to be a competitive team. You know, right there in the 
thick of things. I, I, I don't recall their record exactly, but they were right there in the middle of the pack, you know, with the with the team that uh, obviously has that defensive talent uh, that that continues to get better and better. You have an offensive line that they're hoping to work on and get better with. You have Harris. You have you know Deontay Johnson. They've made some trades, no doubt, that have hurt. Um, you know. In terms of like wide receiver, right? You know, uh, but they've been able to address some needs. Uh, I think in this draft they did a pretty good, solid job doing that. You know, they obviously traded in front of some teams that really were looking to grab a top offensive lineman. They took Broderick Jones, who was um, one of the better, uh, t- you know, prospects early in this draft. You know, they went up and got that player. And then how about drafting? You know, the cornerback, uh, Joey Porter Jr., who obviously his father played for the Pittsburgh Steelers, I believe. And they addressed that cornerback spot that um, had a few questions, um, but they get a player that um, is solid in that aspect. And you also get another linebacker as well to kind of complement what you have. You know, with Watt and um, you know a few other players, so I think that Pittsburgh they're a pretty good one. You know, they, they obviously they could have went in a different direction in terms of like trying to add weapons or well, they, they kind of stayed true to their winning formula, which is trying to get better up front, which has been, been an issue for them. Um, and then obviously added that defense, and so Mike Tomlin obviously knows. Uh, you know, you got to keep seeing more progress from Kenny Pickett. Which he will do that, um, but you know, giving him some you know depth up front, adding a, a you know a wide receiver later in the draft. Uh, Steelers are you know they have some weapons, they have some players who have potentially a lot to prove. Although, um, but I think they did a pretty good job in this draft. I think another team that had a solid draft, and this is probably without question, um, are the, the the reigning NFC champions of last year. That would be the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, gotta give it to the Eagles, right? They uh, were able to make a bunch of trades right throughout the past few years, build this roster and getting, you know, Hurts and Brown, Devonta Smith, you know, they just traded for De- DeAndre Swift. And their defense was one of the top notch defenses last year, all the way up to the Super Bowl. And now the Eagles, in this, this year, this draft is just like, they're building their own version of that Georgia Bulldogs defense that we saw uh, the last few years, right? You have N'Kobe Dean, and you have Nolan Smith now, and you have a cornerback in Ringo, right? And you add Jalen Carter. Of all teams that pass on Jalen Carter because of obviously the off-field, or have off the field and those things, Eagles got Jalen Carter, who was touted as one of the best defensive tackles and players in this draft. And the Eagles add to that defensive line with a Hassan Reddick, right? And uh, with a Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham. And you just think this defensive line that was already top notch and really good against the run um, or just, uh, you know, up front, they all of a sudden have even more power on that line to get, generate sacks, generate pressure. Um, and 
like I said, they're kind of building a bunch of, they're building their own version of a Georgia Bulldogs defense. And so there's a lot of chemistry, camaraderie, familiarity with each other. And that may go a long way in helping this Eagles defense continue to be great because they will have a change, obviously, in defensive coordinator, uh, right? From, you know, they had Jonathan Gannon last year. Now they have someone new, which I'm also drawing a blank on that name. But um, they got, obviously, a, a new defensive coordinator, in their scheme-wise, fit-wise, I mean, you got Carter and Ringo and a few other players that will definitely add to this defense. And this, these moves might make the, the, the these moves make the Eagles very likely to have a have a, have a top-notch season again. Uh, they added some depth of the offensive line, you know, uh, and they've addressed some needs, you know, and obviously Hurts is, you know, all set up. So the Eagles are in a window to win right now. It's going to be fascinating to watch how these moves end up kind of transpiring and affecting their, their push. They might be able to get back to the Super Bowl uh, with this roster, uh, with the talent they've added, and a number of key spots. Another team that I feel did have a solid draft would be the Carolina Panthers. Um, I will say the Carolina Panthers only from the standpoint of the fact that yeah, they got Bryce Young. Um, you know, they acquired a few a key, um, you know, depth players. And I think that Frank Reich's philosophy is really going to work for, uh, it's really going to work, I think, well for Bryce Young in terms of, like, the development, the overall team. They're young, right? They got a defense that... Um, has some solid pieces. They added a little bit in the draft to that. Um, they've addressed the wide receiving spot a little bit. Um, the Panthers are a team that I feel like they got it right. You know, with, with, with whatever they gave up, um, that's why I'm basing this off on why they had a solid draft because based on what they gave up, what they got, um, you still end up, you know, getting, you get the quarterback of your choice. Uh, you know, you still have a solid pass catching group, right? And now you you know you add the quarterback, you add the tackle, um, you add some defensive line depth. I mean, the Panthers are in a good spot to compete in the NFC South with the Falcons and with the Saints. Although the Saints are still going to Saints may be uh, you know one of the favorites in the division this year. Tampa, you don't really know, right? It's going to be hard to see um, it's hard to imagine what Tampa Bay might look like you know they do have um, also Bacon Mayfield there and Tyler Trask and you know who not but I feel like the Panthers are moving in the right direction as a franchise it's probably one of their better drafts in recent memory and for that reason alone I'll give them a mention um, as being one of those teams that had a, had a successful draft uh, give me the Tennessee Titans next on the board. Now, this might surprise people. Why didn't I think why, why does Tennessee have a solid draft? Well, Tennessee Titans, uh, considering that they had a, a need, right? They had they had a bunch of questions, right? You weren't really sure which way that they were going to lean in this draft. Were they going to go offensive line, which they did with their first pick, which was a solid move? Then you thought, will they actually? pull the trigger on the quarterback, you know, because you look at the division that they're in, 
and where the division is trending, right? Now, you look at C.J. Stroud with the Houston Texans, right? Um, look at Trevor Lawrence. He's an ascending quarterback in the AFC South, right? You have that going on. Um, and the Colts obviously drafted a quarterback in Anthony Richardson, who could play right away. Um, but, you know, Gardner Minshew is there. So, so look at the, the, dra- um, the division itself in the AFC South. I mean, it was trending towards younger quarterbacks and younger people playing. Now, Tennessee drafted a young quarterback last year, Malik Willis, in the third round. He played, and they already seem like they're going to move on from him at some point. And that would make you think, like, how is Tennessee a team that is going to be able to compete? Well, just with this draft itself, I think they did a solid job because... They waited it out. They traded up, you know, when they didn't have to. And, and they were able to draft Will Levis, a quarterback that, yes, had a lot of turnovers the last few years, but had a lot of upside on tape. So now you add another prototypical quarterback to your roster, and you still have some wide receiving help there. Um, but Tennessee's biggest problem last year was, like, their depth on their overall they didn't have a lot of options at quarterback, right? Now, you went from having Tannehill start getting hurt to playing Malik Willis for a little bit to then having, you know, I think Josh Dobbs or whoever it was playing playoff game. Now you have Will Levis. Now, he's a rookie, obviously, and time will tell how well he does actually does, but I think the value and where Tennessee was able to get him is why they are one of those teams that they had a solid draft. Being able to get the quarterback, you... Maybe didn't have a chance at it. No one anticipated him sliding because Levis had a toe injury, which that was something that came up. Uh, the tendency to get the get a quarterback that people thought would go in the top ten at number thirty-eight or thirty, whatever it was. I think that's a big win for Tennessee as a franchise and Mike Vrabel uh, because the way that the, the division is trending, the way things are going, you need to have a quarterback. Um, that gives you some upside and potential. Now, he's not overly mobile as some of the other quarterbacks, but he's pretty close to it um, if he chooses to be that way. And I think the Tennessee, from that standpoint, definitely is a big winner in this draft. And then finally, I will say the Las Vegas Raiders are one of those teams that did a solid job. Um, the Raiders are heading in a different direction, right? Uh, years after having... You know, Derek Carr is your quarterback. Then you have Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, you know, you've added to the room, you know, especially like, you know, Jared Stidham, and they drafted another quarterback in this draft. The Raiders are trying to get back on track. And I think this draft is one of their most, one of their better drafts in recent memory. Um, not only do you add a pass rusher and Tyrese Wilson, um, who will definitely help Max Crosby, you know, in terms of the pass rush and the speed with Chandler Jones being there. Um, I think that's a solid move for the, for the Raiders to get, you know, Tyrese Wilson there. Um, they were able to give one of the top tight ends in this draft to replace Darren Waller. Will they let, will they let go in free agency or like the traders of the Giants? Um Michael Mayer was the top tight end for Notre Dame, Fighting Irish. 
you know, this past uh, football season. So you add that to the mix, and then you add another player to your defensive line, and you know, Bryson Young or Bryce Young. Um, so the Raiders are just some key spots in their defense that have been a, been a weakness. Uh, they got some pass rushing help, and they got a tight end option for Jimmy Garoppolo to go with you know, Devontae Adams, a runner Renflo. Uh, I think that the Raiders, with their new direction, with their overall team, you're going to see maybe a, a better version, of, a more cleaner version of the Raiders. Will they be able to compete? Although in that West and AFC uh, West remains to be seen, um, just because despite the Raiders having these pieces in place, you know they're one of those teams that you will kind of have to watch and see how it goes. Because if things don't work out, they find themselves again in the top ten, they will most likely go for a quarterback this time around. Well, as for the five teams that I feel had a subpar uh, draft, uh, I will go with the Miami Dolphins, you know. Um, now, the Dolphins obviously didn't have a pick because of their, in the first round or so, because of their tampering, or whatever was reported when they were going for Tom Brady, um, or whatever it was, I think, but that was reported with Steven Ross and what he was trying to do. Um... Miami Dolphins, they're already a highly talented team. Um, however, I felt like they really didn't do a, a whole lot to address their running back spot. They could have done that in this draft, but some of the running backs that went later in the draft, I think they could have been a little better in that aspect. Um, you know, I think that they should have added some linebacking help. You know, they are they have a good defense. They obviously made a trade for Ramsey. Uh, you have Rally Chubb, obviously, um, who you traded for middle of last year. You've got a good defense. I mean, Chubb will be able to complement, take ownership of that position. But I feel like they need another linebacking, uh, you know, another linebacker in that spot to complement, uh, you know, Bradley Chubb and, you know, who they have in the middle of that defense. So I think that was something that they could have addressed a little bit better um, in this year's draft. Then the second team that I think had a subpar draft with the Minnesota Vikings. Yes, you get... Yes, I know I had mentioned that one of the picks that I liked was Jordan Addison going to the Vikings. Um, but in the totality of this draft, I think the Vikings really didn't do a whole lot uh, to address other teams on this team. I think that they, you know... They could have added their defense a little bit more earlier. Um, you know, you have you know, Jordan Addison, Osborne. You've got wide receivers, right? And Adam Thielen was a great player, which you obviously went for a younger player in Addison. But look at this defense, look at this team. Uh, they aren't really strong on the back end, you know, as they, as they once were. Uh, and they haven't been in a while. So I think that the Vikings would have been better off going with some key players in that defense, uh, especially the safety and cornerback spot. I mean, Harrison Smith is a solid player, but he's getting a little bit older. Um, and, you know, as good as you have an offense, you know, that offense can only take you so far, you know. Points are the, are, are the style. Point. You know, that's the way to win, win the league right now is, 
scoring a lot of points, which Mahomes has been able to do. And you've seen that that trend go where, yes, offense can win you a championship. Um, but the Vikings, I feel like, considering the, the struggles they had last year in closing games and winning some games, I think that they would have been better off finding a way to get a little more defensive you know, back help. Another team that I felt that had a subpar draft were the Patriots. And the reason why I say that is because what do you expect from the Patriots? They're going to obviously, they, they always draft defensive players and they move back. Um, Bill Belichick obviously is one of the greatest coaches of all time. He's had a lot of success winning another change with, with a solid defense. But the league has changed. Uh, and the Patriots' style of being able to get those defensive players trying to build a wall, I mean, it will only take you so far. Uh, the Patriots came a few games away from obviously making the playoffs last year. Um, but you got Bill O'Brien back in, you know, as your offensive coordinator. Okay, you have Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, you have Devontae Parker. You have Hunter Henry. Um, what else do you have here, the Patriots, in terms of, like, serious threat offensively, you know. I mean, you expect, you know, Jonathan Schuster to be a solid player as well as, you know, freeing up some of the space to get, um, you know, other players. But I thought the Patriots in this draft, they went they went cornerback, right? And they went off at the guard and they went defensive end. I mean, the defense will always, Village has been able to take you know, picks that have been later in the second, third round, fourth round, make them really good. But to take some defensive player in the first round, uh, a bit of a surprise. I think that Mac Jones could have got a weapon, possibly. You know, they had a chance, possibly, to draft um, draft themselves a wide receiver before the Vikings had a, had a wide receiver pick, right? Or Ravens had a pick. So the, the decision not to draft a wide receiver here the Patriots is kind of interesting. Um, I don't really know if they're going to be able to, you know, they can add as much as they want to the offensive line. I don't know if they're really good enough um, with the talent that they have around Mac Jones to win um, those big-time games that they need to win because we've seen it uh, here and there where, like, some of that, some of those tendencies are going to, are going to come back to haunt them, right? You gotta have a good passing offense and you trail. Uh, you gotta have a quarterback that you believe is gonna be able to take the next level. And Mac Jones has had, you know, one good year, one so-so year. Uh, this is a big year for Mac Jones, and you wanted to kind of develop him as much as you possibly can. But you don't give him weapons, you know, outside of the ones that you signed in free agency. I don't know how much you're gonna be able to do. You gotta be able to address that offensive depth a little bit more better than they've done in recent memory. Uh, I would say uh, another team that had a subpar draft with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, you know, the Browns obviously were going to have a subpar draft because they traded away a bunch of picks to get Deshaun Watson. Um, but look at this Cleveland Browns team, and the reason why I said they had a uh, social draft is because I don't really know if they have good enough. They were able to address the, the depth of this team as well. They got some players that were decent, okay. Um, can be, you know, day two starters, day two starters, but the patience, right? How much patience will the Browns franchise have 
in terms of like trying to win right now. And some of these draft picks that they made towards the later portion of this draft, they may not be able to be those contributors. And Kevin Stefanski's on, you know, on, on the hot seat for sure in terms of like trying to make this work. Um, but you know, the running backs you have are getting a little bit older. They're getting a little bit wary. You know, you have Amari Cooper. You have people Jones. Uh, but outside of that, who do you have to complement Amari Cooper as a number two, number three wide receiver for the Cleveland Browns? And the final team that I think had a sub subpar draft were the Los Angeles Chargers. Herbert is due for a big extension, no doubt, coming up. You have Mike Williams. You have uh, Keenan Allen. You draft a wide receiver from TCU and Quinton Johnston. Nice player. Solid one. Um, however, I think that the Chargers, they kind of missed an opportunity here. I think they could have drafted, you know, maybe Zay Flowers instead. If I were them, I would have drafted Zay Flowers um, in that spot. Honestly, I think that they, you know, they could have moved up or they could have went up a little bit and tried to make some moves. I also think that their defense was more of something they had to address uh, in terms of their cornerbacks and, you know, someone to really compliment Joey Bosa. Obviously, you have Khalil Mack, who's going to be a solid player and always will be, uh, but he's getting up there in age. I think they needed some more speed, more than their defense because they've had some tough injuries on hit their defense the last few years. So having another safety um, or another defensive cornerback who could play both positions would have been, would have been ideal. But I didn't really come away impressed with the Chargers, de- Chargers, um, Chargers draft because I felt like, you know, you added a wide receiver that you could have had at the beginning of the third round possibly. Um, you've got to prioritize you know, Justin Herbert um, and you want to schematically build a better offense and I don't really know if they were able to do that as well. The only hope they have is Kellen Moore coming in and trying to change things for the better in terms of utilization of these all the techniques. I think that will be the key to watch but I didn't see a whole lot the Chargers did really to help Kellen Moore <laughs> in his first year of play calling and um so Johnson is a nice player, big speed wide receiver. He couldn't really be in addition. But they had they had some uh, some talent in the wide receiver room that was emerging with Jordan Palmer. Um, so I don't know the Chargers had to really address that with a wide receiver here. They kind of waited, I think, to get a wide receiver in the second round. There you have it. There's my take on the teams. The NFL draft, what they did so-so. And so <laughs> did really, really well. Obviously, there are other teams that you know have some solid drafts as well. You know, throw out a few, obviously. Look at what the Chicago Bears did, what the Jets did, what the Giants did. I think, I'm not, not being biased here, I think the Giants and Jets actually had a decent draft. I mean, yes, some opportunities were missed for the Jets. Um, in terms of, like, you know, because obviously trading the pick away and drafting a little bit later, they, they added some quality players for the offensive line to protect Aaron Rodgers, added a running back that could compete with you know, Bam Knight there, and you obviously, you know, add to the defense a little bit. The Giants, I like the way they did, you know, with getting, um, trading up to get Jalen Hyatt, the wide receiver from Tennessee. I love that move for the Giants. I think that was a solid move. They obviously added offensive line depth. 
and they added a cornerback um, that I think will be pretty solid as well. So I like that move. I think the Rams had one one of the better drafts in recent memories. They obviously didn't have a whole lot of picks, obviously because they gave a lot away. But the Rams obviously got Stenson Bennett, who could be potential, you know, heir to Matthew Stafford there in LA. They added some players to that defense that was pretty good. Uh, so I think the Rams were big winners, uh, or they had a solid draft. Outside of that, I mean, you could say the, you know, you could say that in some matches the Bengals made some decent moves as well. You know, adding some depth to the running back spot. Um, Baltimore, you can throw in the mix. Buffalo, kind of wait and see. Dallas, I don't really think they had that great of a draft. Um, so. Like I said, there's several teams that you have to think of. And if you really go and dive into it deep, you can analyze like what these teams actually did. But this is my version of what I think the NFL draft is what we saw transpire uh, from the teams that did really, really well. Some teams that were subpar a little bit and things were kind of in the middle of good picks and bad picks. But overall, like, like many coaches have said in the NFL and the offseason, you know, you don't win games in April. Um, and I think that no matter what, all these draft selections, all these picks are obviously going to be put to the, to the test early on. And, you know, it's just it's kind of building excitement for what will happen at the end of the NFL preseason, the training camp, all those things. I think that'll be fun to kind of navigate and see how that ends up being, you know, overall in terms of, you know, rosters and, um, you know, who have to end up, you know, being day one, day two starters. So with that, I want to cap this episode off by talking about the NBA playoffs. Um, we obviously are now in round two of the playoffs. Uh, and we've seen already a few series already start. Um, we obviously the Knicks and the Heat I kicked off yesterday in game one in the Garden. It was a tough blow for the New York Knicks to lose game one. They didn't have Julius Randle out there. Uh, the Knicks played pretty well for the most part in the first half with Brunson and Barrett doing their thing. Um, but the Knicks went cold in the second half. They really shot poorly from the three-point line. Uh, the Heat took advantage of a lot of opportunities uh, and converted those, those chances into points. The Knicks just never really found their rhythm in scoring um, that fourth quarter. So the Heat take game one of the Eastern Conference Finals matchup. Uh, the Knicks definitely will need Julius Randle, I think, back if they want to be able to have more of more of a presence in scoring uh, in the inside. I think they, they were they were missing that that scoring presence inside in game one. They need Julius Randle hopefully to play in game two to have a chance to make the series one one. The Lakers ended the Memphis Grizzlies season on Friday. Uh, Lakers advance with pretty dominant performance of the Memphis Grizzlies. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Austin Reeves, and D'Angelo Russell was absolutely phenomenal. Lakers earned it. They played like they knew they had to win that game. They they won no part of a game seven, obviously, and LeBron came out, played well, got it going. Anthony Davis did some solid things as well. And how about D'Angelo Russell putting on a clinic in that third quarter, fourth quarter, that was tremendous to see. Um, as for the Memphis Grizzlies, it was a failure of a season for the Memphis Grizzlies, if they really look at it. Yes, they had their issues with uh, 
injuries, obviously, with Clark and Adams being out. Uh, John Morant is a little bit during the end of the season. But I think that for the Grizzlies, they had one of the better seasons in their franchise. To have it end to a seventh seed um, in the Lakers was um, pretty astonishing, right? You didn't see a whole lot from Desmond Bay and you know, Dylan Brooks in key moments. And they struggled to shoot. They struggled to defend. Jaron Jackson didn't wasn't able to put, to put together you know protective games you know, with a strong showing. John Moran was a little bit hampered. He still played extremely well, but this came down to a team that was a little bit inexperienced. Didn't have the didn't have you know the patience at times to play well, and they just really they, they got outplayed. They got out outmanned by the Lakers, honestly. Because they couldn't shoot, and that's something that, that the Grizzlies are going to have to address in the off season. I feel like uh, their shooting uh, could be addressed, right? That is something that they need to to address. That in terms of like either guys have to put more work in getting slimmer, or or something has to change schematically for the Memphis Grizzlies because Desmond Bain is a nice player. Don't get me wrong, and so is Jaron Jackson, but. You need guys to elevate their game and, and add to their game. I don't think the Memphis Grizzlies did that a whole lot. I think they were able to win this season being down playing good defense, getting, you know, solid performance. They, they got consistency in the regular season, in the playoffs. Guys who weren't there in that moment playing against LeBron and Anthony Davis. Lakers' defense really clamped them down as well. So, got to credit to the Lakers for playing good defense. But Memphis just really didn't have, didn't have the shooting. Uh, and uh, they had obviously had their few outbursts of games where they play extremely well. But there are key moments when you have to be able to find a shot when you need them the most. I think that they were too reliant on John Moran. And they need another, I think they need Dylan Brooks to evolve his game a little bit. He was, a lot, he was talking so much during this series, didn't really pan out well for him in the end. You have that. The Warriors uh, won game seven. In Sacramento, as I predicted, they would. <laughs> you know, my three previews. What a what a season for the Sacramento Kings. They gave it their all. They played extremely well. To win Game Six in Golden State was a was a feat in, in itself. Uh, game Seven, they played so well right after that third quarter. Once Steph Curry started hitting it and getting hot, there was no stopping the Golden State Warriors. Clay Thompson didn't have the strongest game of games, but Steph Curry put him 50 points plus, hitting the shots that he hit. The way that they played overall offensively, it was just it was just too much for the for the, for the Kings to overcome. But De'Aaron Fox showed out. You know, you saw Mitchell show out. And, you know, Malik Monk. I mean, the Kings had a really good season. They obviously wish they could have made it a little bit longer, uh, but. Golden State Warriors, obviously, with the defending champions. Been there in that moment several times or in similar situations. And they were able to get it done with Steph Curry being the best player on the court yesterday. And so now we get Lakers and Warriors. And this is probably the first time since 1994 and 95 that the Lakers and Warriors will be playing each other, um, you know, in, in a semifinals match with a lot of history. There's a lot of History between like LeBron and Curry, obviously, uh, it's going to be an epic matchup. That the Lakers are really going to have to play their best 
uh, one way or another, they're going to have to find ways to, to score at a high rate. Uh, defending Steph Curry will be a challenge. And, and I think that for the most part, um, there will be um, a lot of, you know, things to watch out for terms of like the matchup inside and what may end up actually transpiring when it comes to it. So it's going to be a great series. I hope the Lakers win this series against the Warriors. That's going to be a tall order, and they're going to have to really play a lot more better um, in terms of dealing with the Warriors' shooting ability that they have. Uh, I think the Lakers are going to have to put for a lot more better shooting, and they're going to really going to have to challenge um, Steph Curry some way, somehow, to be able to like slow him down and make someone else beat them in this series. You have that. Nuggets are up 1-0 on the Phoenix Suns. Not a surprise. I mean, the Nuggets are fully healthy. They are, you know, Jamal Murray is reminding us why he's one of the best point guards in the game. Um, I think the key for the Suns will be really Kevin Grant and Devin Booker collectively playing well together and bouncing back um, in terms of getting Chris Paul and DeAndre Aiden going. And I think Philly and Boston, that matchup, it's going to be a fun one. I think I'll pick Boston in seven. I think the, the depth of the Boston Celtics, the shooting of the Boston Celtics, um, should be able to be filled up. But this is James Harden's best shot if he wants to get to a conference finals again. Uh, I think he's going to have to go, he's going to have to be the hard enough old, and Bill is going to need, need um, to be even more dominant version of himself, as well as having these young guys step up and Tyrese Maxi, as well as Tobias Harris and others. So, Philly could be in a, in a good spot to give a run for it, but the Celtics are a better team, and I think they will find a way to win that series. So, it should be fun to see how this all plays out, but looking forward to breaking down more of the round two action of the playoffs and dive into that and see how this journey to the next during the NBA final will be what match we'll actually get in June because it's going to be hopefully an exciting one, a fresh one, and I definitely do not want to see the Warriors again in the, in the finals. I want to see another team make it out. So hopefully they will get that maybe this basketball season around. <laughs>